Hi guys, welcome back again. This is myself and Caroline, and today we're with Nick Jordan. Um, Nick is a physio manual therapist here uh, in Dubai. Um, myself and Nick, we, we chat quite a lot about patients and clients back and forth. If, if my guys have an issue I can't help them with, I send them to you, and uh, we tend to share a lot of notes and good communication channels. Um, you're originally from Switzerland? That's yeah. correct, yes. Yeah. <laughs> Once I get that correct. Um, how long have you been in Dubai? Do you want to just introduce yourself a little bit, just generally? How long have you been here? Kind of where were you beforehand? What made you kind of go down this professional route? Yeah, of course. Well, thanks, of all, thanks first of all for having me. Yeah, thank um, you for being here. Yeah, I've, uh, I've been a physiotherapist, manual therapist, since 2001, approximately, so around roughly 17, 18 years. Uh, got into this profession by own experience really I had uh, plenty of injuries yeah. and uh, I believe that uh, helped me A to make the choice of profession and B I think it helps me to be better at what I do because I can empathize and with the patients I know what it means to be injured I know what it means to have pain I know what it means to be able to be uh, to, to be grounded and not be able to do what you love so uh, that's the reason why I got into it I came to Dubai 12 years ago so I had a couple of years practice in Switzerland where I yeah, worked numerous things, so mostly in private practice. Uh, worked in healthcare management for a couple of years, building up rehab centers. I taught biomechanics at a college for physiotherapy. I was a graduation examiner, so I take graduation exams for people actually under diploma mm-hmm. uh, exams. Came out here for the complete opposite reason of everybody else. I came here because of my wife, <laughs> because <laughs> she, when I met her, she lived here already, and we thought uh, she's from a different country, she's from Sweden, looked into where would we live, right? And, uh, and, and Dubai was sounded like a really exciting place. Didn't think that it going to be here for 12 years, counting, yeah. but uh, here I am. No regrets at all. It's, uh, it's been an amazing journey. And... Um, yeah, I mean, the, for me, the interesting thing about Dubai is you have such a multicultural environment. I mean, that's what I love about it, is I have so many different nationalities in the clinic every single day. And the fascination of how different cultures, different people deal with similar injuries or, or uh, ailments is, uh, is part of what fascinates me, the person behind it, the psychology behind it as well, which is uh, something we're going to talk about in a minute. Oh, interesting. <laughs> so, uh, yeah, I mean, apart from that, apart from being a therapist... I work in a private clinic. Um, I'm into sports still myself uh, very much. It's a big part of my life and a big part of my passion. And I think I learn every day through my own sports and my own uh, uh, you know, things I do right and do what wrong you, about. What, uh, what sports did you play when you were younger? Um, well, a bit of everything. I was, uh, you know, did a bit of athletics and gymnastics as a oh, little yeah. kid, which I think is a good basic tool. I played tennis. I did everything. Yeah. But uh, my main sport was uh, was handball, which is, I think, no, not so known on, on the Isles as such, but uh, Central Europe very big. It's a contact sport, and that's where I got hurt plenty. Netball, handball? Handball. With the goal. Olympic. The yeah, exactly. Tennis ball? Not the one you throw a tennis ball against the wall. Oh, okay. That we don't know, but the mm-hmm. handball is a... It's a team sport, full contact. It's basically like on a smaller thing than a football goal. Yeah. And you tackle each other and uh, you... Uh, Is that like yeah. rugby? I would say it's probably the Central European rugby. It has a bit okay. similar <laughs> physicality, I would say. Is, uh, is that different to Olympic handball? No, it's exactly the same. That's, that's the same one. So the one they play, it's almost like a, like a basketball court, but at the end, is a, it's, a, it's a bluish, yeah, exactly. like a badminton court, yeah, exactly. rather. For instance, here, it's very popular. It's, uh, I mean, 
Germany has a huge uh, league. Uh, it's uh, Spain mm. and Central Europe. Interesting is in the, you know British territories is completely unknown. So it's not. I didn't know it was full contact. Yeah, it is. It I, is. I, and if you just fall on the on the hardwood floor or the, yeah. or the um, yeah. sorry yeah, can we backtrack I mean I had a broken ribs broken nose I uh, have a couple <gasps> of surgeries on my knees and ankles and what is it so it's a small indoor sport it's a small indoor court isn't it how big is the court I'm going to get this wrong I'll let you explain well it's I would say basketball size a little bit bigger than that yeah, and it's blue not necessarily can okay. parquet, and it's a round ball yeah. Do you it's bounce small, it? Yeah, you can bounce it. You can run three steps with it, and then you jump up and throw it on a goal. So and the goalkeeper is the poor guy who gets it all. And uh, you have a circle where you can't run into, so you pass the ball, look for a gap, and the defense is pretty much... Just yeah. hit, tackle each other. It's got a goal. It's got a small goal with, with a goalkeeper. Oh, okay. Do you ever see the sport where they run, and they take a big leap, and the guy throws... A ball into the net. It's a pretty fast sport. I didn't know it was full contact there. Yeah. I mean, full, you know, what he can't, he can't just go and get in somebody's legs. Blood tackling is, uh, happens, but he shouldn't. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. But it's a, it's a physical, you know, basketball, you can't touch each other. Whereas yeah. handball, it's, it's part of the game, big part of the game. So bleeding noses, etc., are not rare. So you get the testosterone out of the Central Europeans that way. It's a bit like the Aussie rules for Europeans, I would yeah. say. <laughs> More or less. I don't know. I mean, it's not different yeah. game. Anyway, so that's, that's what I did. Um, uh, ice hockey played. I always liked physical sports, and uh, and again I got hurt a few times. Spent a significant amount of times with a physio. Wasn't sure at the time should I go and study medicine, and but sports was important, so that kind of was a logical midway really for me. And uh, yeah, I, uh, I I I still love it. Yeah. Then when I came out here to Dubai, uh, you know, I mean I retired from this sport. Uh, but two years before I left because it's just yeah it's just quite physical plus I want to do something else I literally train every day and and so uh, every weekend games away so it uh, was a bit too intense when I came here I enjoyed the fact that I could just reorientate trouble is if you know if you have a team you know that you play rugby right you missed it. And, uh, so it's it's when you have a team you kind of know Tuesday I'm going to do this Monday Wednesday yeah. and also you're on your own in a new city and so I had to think about what I want to do I'm not uh, huge runner I'm a, I do it but it's not that it's a passion of mine uh, so I started a bit of gymming and uh, kind of semi-loved it mm-hmm. <laughs> um, you do some calisthenic stuff now now I do yes I mean I kind of stumbled, stumbled into that sideways because I, I first as a mate of mine ex-military who said let's do a bit of martial arts which I did a bit in the past the sparring and then realised both had kids and kind of got a bit slightly out of shape so Let's get ourselves fit. So we did some beach training, what you call circuits, I would say. Started a bit of CrossFit, did the martial arts, and then he had another baby, so uh, kind of that fell apart, and that kind of got stuck a bit in more the CrossFit scene. And I uh, realized that my gymnastic game was not the strongest, and then I f- decided to focus a bit on this, and that's where I more or less got stuck for quite a while because I loved it. So calisthenics, body weight work I had a goal to do a strict muscle up on the rings, like yeah. fully strict and, and, and that's just, I don't know why it just became an obsession, yeah. I trained for it <laughs> and uh, until can I got it and once oh, amazing, you amazing, you can do it yeah, I can do it this is, yeah, it's, it's quite hard. I'm, not, I'm not really gymnast material, I'm a bit too big <laughs> and too tall for it, but I thought and that's part of my passion, is I wanted to prove that, you know, you stick myself, oh you can't do that because you this shape, or you're too heavy it, it's just not true. It's a, met, it's a matter of focus. Mm-hmm. And that's what drives me in my profession as well, I would say. So anyway, and then I kind of, you know, you, you, you work for something and you think, good, right, now i got it, what next? So let's just work on the next yeah. goal. And 
what I love about it, and that's why I'm talking about this a bit more extensively, is because it links really well into my work. I mean, I started to come across some moves on, on the rings, for instance, where if you don't use your, utilize your body as a perfection and, and all the connective muscle, which is you know, what you're uh, passionate about as well, if your shoulder is not centered perfectly, stabilized perfectly, everything is tip-top shape, you can simply not do it. And that means everything needs to be perfectly aligned, everything needs to be fully engaged, you need to have that feeling for your body. And, and I learned a lot through this for my work. And I started to implement that with my patients. Now, most of them, they don't monkey around on rings. But, but <laughs> the thing is, if, you know, a shoulder is a shoulder. It works in a certain way. And, and for me, gymnastics, I was never passionate about this, but it became, calisthenics became a passion of mine. Not that I'm fantastic at it, but I love it. Uh, it, it just links really well into any, into biomechanics because perfect biomechanics leads to lead, lead you to achieving this goal. And if you don't have that, it's just you'll always struggle. And so experimenting with, this, uh, with these little details is what I started with my patients. I realized certain elements I trained for to achieve my goals are exactly the elements they need to become pain-free or be able to, you know, if, whether that's a, a pull-up or whether that's uh, lifting a cup of coffee off the shelf or hanging the laundry is... is Sounds weird, but it's fundamentally not that different because it's it's mechanics. It's lifting the arm, it's loading the arm or legs, for that matter, whatever body part it is. And and you were a biomechanics lecturer. You yeah. Yes. How, how how did that go? How how did you fall into that? Or was yeah, biomechanics a speciality of yours? Passion, I would say. Yeah. Fall into that is probably a pretty good expression because <laughs> I literally <laughs> fell into it. Um, I always had a. You know, this was another kind of idea I had what, what I could do because the body always fascinated me, movement always fascinated me, the human biology always anatomy, and uh, always studied it. And very early in my education, I realized, you know, you get a pretty broad education, and but you realize straight, well, I want to go there, or this interests me, and that I have to cover, but I'm I'm less passionate about it. And, and manual therapy goes pretty much hand-in-hand hand with uh, with biomechanics, and I studied that deeper, and then I was asked to, uh, actually the same college I graduated from, which was a bit weird at the beginning, also on the, on the other side of the fence, but um, yeah, I started teaching this, and in the beginning everybody asked, like, can you do it? So, well, have you done it before? Then no, but you know, I can learn it, and that's, that's the thing, you hit the ground running and somehow do it, and do it, I think as long as you do something to the best of your abilities, it turns out okay, and uh, yeah, I did this for a bit, and mm-hmm. uh, Students that turned out good. So <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. So what's the difference? What, like, what's the key focus on a biomechanics, say, module or lecture? Like, what would you be teaching your students, just so people have an idea of what is biomechanics? Um, biomechan- I mean, biomechanics is a big word, right? I mean, in my the brief or the curriculum I got was just basically understand how a joint works, right? I mean, a lot of people think a joint is just a hinge like a door, which it isn't. It's a, it's a pretty complex thing. And uh, a lot of people come into clinic and say, oh, knee is a really complicated joint. It is and it isn't. But if you look at a joint, but let's say it's just to get a knee from bending to extending, is not just a, to break it down very simply, for instance, you have a rolling movement mm-hmm. and then you have a gliding movement because otherwise that bone just rolls off this. So that's the simplest concept of biomechanics is that to accommodate the movement, so it's not just a hinge movement, it also has to glide. And so you have then in one plane, but then you also have rotation components, and then you have lateral component, co- components, and then you have... So that's a joint or arthromechanics. 
Um, and then you have also then the, 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 the ligaments and the muscles, how they influence that. So it becomes very complex. So if you look at a, a, uh, how do you say, a diagram of how a joint moves, that looks pretty overwhelming. And uh, to, for, school, for students to break that down to simple things. And, and I think for me the key was to get these complex things down to what's actually useful. What can you transfer in your daily practice? So for instance, if you have a rehab client with, a, with an often ACL, a cruciate ligament repair, and uh, can't bend fully, what is it? Is it muscle? Is it just the basic things? But for instance, when you realize, okay, it's not muscle, it's well stretched, mobility is good, tissue mobility is good, still doesn't work, or is that the knee blocks? So that could be, for instance, that, that uh, you know, the glide is not right, or the lateral glide isn't right, or the rotations are not free, which is something we don't necessarily associate with bending as such, but it's relevant. So if you come as a student into this profession, you don't know all these things. A lot of these things you le- read, you learn, or you gain experience in, and, and a lot of therapists out there do things right because they're just out of experience, but they don't really know why. And to give somebody these tools, already know that, look, when bending is stuck, go and look for that internal rotation of the knee or go and look for that uh, anterior posterior mm-hmm. glide and, and, and so there's certain rules and patterns underlying and if you know them then uh, that's helpful biomechanics is just one of them but I think our profession is for me I always try to break things down into, into, uh, into principles and I think if you understand certain principles you can, you, know, you can rehab an elbow even if you never had touched an elbow it's uh, you know the mechanics, you know the anatomy, and you know principles of wound healing. Yeah. Did you teach? Did you go into any of the mathematics behind it, or was it? Was uh, not too much, because this is. I mean, this is then more the scientists, yeah. right? And uh, honestly, I mean, I, I do know the surface of that. I would have to brush up on that as well. But again, you know, I don't know how it is in your professions. It's it's like what you use daily is something. You know, the applicable knowledge is what you keep, what you retain. Yeah. Mm-hmm. For instance, I'm not shy of bringing out a book in front of a patient. So listen, I don't know. Let's look it up. Or just, you know, you, you think, Lance, do you mind if I just bring out the anatomy? Because the stuff you use regularly, mm. you know, and the stuff you don't use regularly, <laughs> you forget. But, you know, we're not supercomputers. It's yeah. the stuff you, sometimes you look it up. And I think it's nice to... So numbers is, for my profession, only partially relevant. Yeah. Uh, in training, physiology, yes, to some extent. But, you know, whether of that force of vector this way and anterior and posterior, that's not super relevant. Because yeah. ultimately, everybody's a bit different. Mm. I have a question for you. So yeah. I've noticed you've got a little bit of a piece of paper there. And yeah. before the podcast, we were talking about some of your passions and what you wanted to discuss today were your passions. So do you mind if we go into that one? Don't mind at all. <laughs> I like to talk about my passions. <laughs> I have a lot of them, though. But Yeah, I'm really curious. Yeah, I mean, I... I, I when when Keith contacted me, he said, but, so what do you want me to talk about? So well, talk about something you like and something what do you want. And so it's really hard to break that down. But I think I'm, I try to talk about a bit what I feel I do possibly different or what I put an emphasis on. Because, yeah, therapy, physiotherapy is, is you know, you talk to ask different people about what that is, is they will have completely different associations. You know? I mean... I can tell you something I'm not passionate about is, is, is all this, you know, a lot, and that's what a lot of people understand on a physio. I'm sorry I'm a bit direct here, but, you know, there's a lot of people who went through numerous sessions with, you know, electrodes on their knees and, and ultrasound, and then they gave a heat pack and they give, handed out a sheet of exercise. And for me, <laughs> sorry to say, might offend a few people, but this, is, this for me is not physiotherapy because it's not, you know, specific. What, what, I, what I'm really passionally about is, is, is you know, there's an individual coming in with an injury. Five people come in with, 
with, uh, I don't know, a uh, low back pain, you have five different reasons. You can have 100 people with 100 different reasons. And the important is that, that we, it's, 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 I mean, we're expected, and this is our, our um, uh, how do you say, we have to be specific. We have to take everybody individual. And, uh, and they come in with not just with an injury, they come in with fears, they come in with, with beliefs, they come in with baggage of how many people they've seen, how many doctors have assessed them, what the pile of scans they have or not, and, uh, and also with a different uh, background in, in movement. Some people are really experienced with movement and others are not. Some people had injuries, others are not. So the experience is important. And so I think that human, that's one thing I want to talk about, is, 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 is that side of the person. So a lot of people come in with fears. And in my, I, in my belief is that a lot of the injuries we treat or pains we treat are, are often because of fear of movement, because not knowing, am I okay to do this? How much danger am I under? Right? Let's say, simple example, you bend down, pick up a pen, and oop, back goes into spasm. Right? Ten out of ten pain, you almost faint, very dangerous, right? Your brain goes off and says, ooh, careful, this is, this is disaster. And if you never had an injury, this is, I mean, it's insidiously painful. Like I had it myself a long, long time ago, and I remember that. It's shocking. But it's, if somebody had it a few times, they will have a bit uh, less of a problem. Now, if you go down the route of, like, hospital, for instance, as ooh, MRI straight away, right, and then look at this, and, and you, get, you get into Hell's Kitchen with this. That's the problem. And so I think how you explain, if a, if a client comes in, how do you explain what they have to them? It's very important. The words you use is very important terminology. Some people come in and say, I have, when you ask them what's your problem, are you here? They say, I have a L5-S1 central disc protrusion uh, encroaching on my yeah. whatever nerve root. And I just sit there and think, like, you shouldn't even know these words. You I, know, got, that's I got a long message on Instagram from a gentleman maybe a f- maybe 10 or 12 sentences of spiral line problems tricky tr- risky shoulder blade like just some was some was technical some was just i don't know who's told this guy yeah. who has spoken to this guy before because yeah. he's coming in with a full list of things yeah. and like you just said you shouldn't you shouldn't know any of these terms yeah. <laughs> exactly i mean this is you should just come in and say, I have a back pain, I bent down, and I got a really bad back, and I'm trying to get back, right? This is what would be a bit I more just, a healthy I want to get better, yeah. Yeah, exactly. But, but, you know, I mean, this is not the patient's fault. It's often than the people they've seen, right? And so, I mean, I have a lot of practitioners, doctors, they have these beautiful models of spines with this big red blob popping out of it. It's just not a good sign. When mm-hmm. you come in and say, like, oh, my God, that's me. Yeah, this is we call it a nocebo, not a placebo, it's a nocebo. And straight away that sends it like, oh yeah, yeah that's pain me. reception. Terrible. Or, or you see some models where the disc sits next to the spine, that's even mm. worse, right? I mean, as a layman, you just don't know what to do with that. That's the problem. I know those things can be really scary. Like uh, it's 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 incredible how impactful images can be, particularly negative images. They can stay with you so much longer than the positive stuff. Absolutely, yeah. And it's it's the verbal, the non-verbal. It's these images, it's these models, and all this. And I think to yeah, important in our profession is to kind of reorganize people's thoughts. You know, a doctor might say, "Oh, you have a you have a back of an eight-year-old." And you're 23. Yeah, why would you say that to someone? Number one, not helpful. All right. Number two, certainly not true. Yeah. 
And number three, they say that it casually in 10 seconds, it takes me about three months to get yeah. out the heads again. That's the yeah, problem. Yeah, I know. And Do so you know, sorry to interrupt no, you there. Right. Um, a long time ago, I decided it would be a good idea to look at one of my surgeries on YouTube. So I typed what it is. I looked it up. I watched it. My foot immediately started hurting, like That's aching. Crazy, right? I was like, close the laptop. I could never, never no. <laughs> get those no. images out of my mind. Like, they're still there. So it's crazy. That's sorry. the problem. This is this is we. <laughs> We call it a neurotag, right? I mean, this foot is obviously tagged in your brain. I mean, mm. this is like a red towel. But for us, then, in treatment is to try to slowly get these tags away to realize, hey, you can actually heal. Your body can do this. Yeah. Yeah. So one thing takes you like a year to, yeah. to help people get can. out of it. It can. And that, mm. that's, it actually, it can be five seconds or a wrong word which creates chronic pain. Yeah. You know, people, and that's another speciality of mine is chronic pain. And, and people always think chronic pain is something which lasted longer than three months. <laughs> When I was educated, they said everything more than three months is chronic. It's rubbish. There's people who are after 10 seconds chronic already yeah. and others who are so seven years and they're not chronic. Nick, know? I have a question for you then. So you said that these are, are things that are really challenging for you to help people get out of. So what are some of the what would be the advice that you would use or some of the tactics that you use yourself in order to help people understand what their pain is without actually getting them into that whole scare thing and interfere? What, what do you do? I think, I mean, the, for me, the foundation of, uh, of, of, of our profession, and not just therapists. I mean, I believe in teamwork. I believe you're as much of a therapist as anybody else and myself and doctors. We're a team, you know. Everybody who is interested in health is a team. We work as a team. And so I think everybody should look into this. The key thing is information for me. It's, it's kind of, first of all, I ask the patient's belief system. So, for instance, if somebody has, a, again, a back pain for, I don't know, three months. Three months seems a long time, right? For, for patients, for us, you know, can, it's, it's long, but it's, you know, it's not a drama. Well, it's not good, but it's a, it's, 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 it doesn't mean anything about you can, you can still change that. But I ask people often, say, okay, you're not, you're not a doc- I know you're not a doctor, but what do you think is your problem? What do you think is causing your problem? And then I bring up, and you can, you can tell quite easily how, you know, how the belief system works. And the belief system is a really, really important thing in that. You know? If I give you a simple example, when I worked in chronic pain in Switzerland, I had this guy who was from, uh, from the Balkans, and uh, his, his, his language skills were not perfect. So you have to be even more careful right, with, uh, with how you say things. Mm. And, uh, and I asked him in a, in a session, it wasn't an intern rehabilitation office, and I asked him, I said, can you, uh, come on, let's just bend forward. And he, say, he kind of broke out in a sweat, and you can see the fear of gold in his eyes. And, 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 uh, and, and I said to him, is it, what is it? He said, well, no, I, I can't do that. And uh, so I scaled back, I said, okay, like, can we do it seated, etc. And just he wouldn't, right? And so at one point, it took me a couple of days, I realized, he told me that, uh, and I said to him, why, do you, why are you so scared? Because nothing can happen, I promise you. And he said, well, it's because of the rust. So what do you rust? mean by rust? The <laughs> rust in my back. So I don't understand. He said, well, my doctor said my back is rusty. I said, yeah, but it's not, you know, it's not corroded. It's like, there's a saying, it's a figure of speech, you know, it says a bit rusty means you're a little bit tight, but he's belief system was we find out later that number one he thought he has one gigantic disc in his back and not 24 of them and that one thing big thing was exploded right because that's how somebody told him because his language was not great and said and you know your back is rusty so it can corrode it 
<laughs> so yeah. he didn't, he didn't, uh, he didn't bend. So can you imagine with these disastrous thoughts in your head? Of course, I would be scared as well to bend my back. But once we kind of explained that, the guy bent beautifully. And it's just because of his fear of movement or yeah. fear of injury, right? And so back to your question, so I'm derailed a little bit here, but it's, what I usually do is I check for that belief system. I try to clean up this belief system. And that's sometimes with a few sentences, explanations. I have friends like over there, I have a whiteboard in my room, which is one of my main tools. You, you draw stuff or you have yeah. them draw stuff. It's like, draw me, a, draw me a disc, how does it look like? And then you understand how, what they think. Their perception, yeah? yeah, of course. I take their scan and say, look, I always tell them, look, you're not a scan. It's the most important thing. And, and I bring out statistics, and we, we know that, that about, don't pin me down, the numbers of roughly 65% of people above the age of 30 do have changed in their discs to full prolapses, mm. but no pain. They're completely yeah. asymptomatic. I bring this up, I bring science up. Mm-hmm. If they want it in writing, I give it to them in writing, not a problem. But to explain that, and I say, okay, well, look at your data scan, but, and I explain it to you exactly what I see. Uh, I'm not a radiologist, but I'm good enough to, uh, to be able to tell you what's, what's good, what's, what's less good. But, so, but keep in mind that this is not the only truth. I'm much more interested in what we do after. I want to see you move. Yeah. But you look at it, you explain it, and so many times you see that aha moment, that light bulb effect, and they're like, literally, they, you can see their body language relax. I mean... For me, I, I know my job is done right or I've done good that day when I literally see their body language, their, their whole being change. And often people tell me, say, I feel so much better just because of what you told me. And, and you know, it's, I, call, I use the term positive reinforcement. I mean, you need to, people always look at what's wrong. They never tell you what's right, mm. right? And there's a lot of things right. And I think yeah. patients who have been in insidious pain or have been to excessive diagnostics and hospital stays and doctors who told them all sorts of things. Oh, if you, if you fall down, you end up in, 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 in a wheelchair. I mean, sorry, this is just for me, mm-hmm. that's for me almost malpractice yeah. Yeah, yeah, to say something like that. And big, unless it's true, which in this case, in this connection, I never heard, read or seen mm-hmm. any case like that, honestly. But important is that you're honest with people and you're honest about what you think honest but you don't sweet talk stuff you know but it depends how you convey a message if somebody has a i don't want to talk about discs all the time in this case if somebody has a problem you usually tell them to listen you, there's there's not no problem you got you got something there but it's not the full truth and then i bring back science and saying there's a lot of people with this who are fine they're pain-free i'm one of them by the way i had that myself with with everything, I had I told you I had a cup, a bit of baggage myself, but I had, I had numbness, pins and needles, even a 50% drop foot, and uh, I haven't even done a scan because mm-hmm. I know what my scan shows. Yeah. And I thought, this is just going to make me worse, knowing. Because every time mm-hmm. I have a back pain, I think, oh, my disc. But it's just, right now, it's just a back pain. It's a f- funny thing. I rehabbed it, never seen a therapist for it. I bring that up with patients, tell them, look, I haven't done a scan, but I don't need to, and, but I'm fine. Yeah. Yeah. I have. I mean, when I was in my early twenties playing rugby, I used to get some back pain, and it was in my studies. So it was when I was around lecturers who were physios and anatomy teachers and pathologists. I remember asking one or two people, and two of them gave me different things. So I sort of was like, okay, well, I don't really know what it is. One person said it could be a disc because when I'd sneeze, I'd get a pain. Or the other guy just kind of said, you know, just just keep going. Maybe just stop doing A, B, and C and see what happens. I never got it treated. I never got it looked at. And then the more placements I went on, the more I understood what was going on with my own back. It was if I opened my hips, if I did this, A, B, and C, things will get better. Did all that, rehabbed it, fine. And now, like you said, bending over in my room, I might get a back spasm once every year and a half. 
and it could put me in bed for the day, but it doesn't, it doesn't make me freak out. But what I would like to have done is to have got a scan then and then compare now to see if there's any change. But I'm also glad I didn't get a scan because it, I didn't get bogged down in the minutiae of the millimeters of the mm. disc or whatever. And now I, there's a certain stuff I don't do because I just I am a little bit apprehensive of coming back. But I can run marathon. I can do gym stuff. I can do a lot of other stuff. There's just one or two things. I'll just I'll just avoid those. Mm. And I think that's that is that's from my own education, my own understanding of of my back. Um, Sorry, I was going to interject there just before you finished. Um, Nick, what I think is really valuable about what you just said just then was um, that you didn't, uh, you basically traded yourself, you didn't have any scans. And I think the important lesson there is is that you have this huge amount of education um, that you can base that on. And I think that's the important thing is that if people self-educate, then um, you know what I'm trying to say here. I just lost my words. Mm. No, but... That's ex- that's exactly my point, and you know, me, I I try to educate people. That's my so my my goal is not the people to leave the room just pain free. People always ask what right L five S one rotated cuff, whatever body part we're talking about. Nobody ever asks the question why, right? Or very few people, of course, mm-hmm. as people do. And now that's that's a qu- I always tell patients that I can get you better, but you know, I want to know why did this happen? Mm-hmm. Why does this area look more worn than this area? That means. This has been overworked, something has been underworked. So my focus, I can't fix a torn rotated cuff. I can't fix a disc either. What I can do is I can take stress away from that so it doesn't keep happening, so you don't get into back spasm every three months. You don't have a tendonitis every time you had a hard physio session on your sh- or a hard uh, uh, gym session on your shoulder. And so, this, so I want people leave, or let's say when we dismiss, we close a the case, then uh, that people leave A, with their goals achieved, whatever that, and we talk about pain all the time, it's not always pain. Number two, the, I want them to know why I got this in the first place, and I want them to know what can I do for this not to happen again. And if it, God forbid, does happen again, because all of us, which is human, right, it stops hurting, we stop being uh, disciplined about it. Yeah. Knowing, right, I had this before, last time I did this, this, and this, and this, Nick showed me, or whoever else showed me, I got better. So if you remember, if they people then remember that and say, "Oh yeah, I've tried your stuff and actually made it better," it's just that part I can't get it right. That's my passion. This is where I I just want ideally that a patient never sees me again for the same problem. Mm-hmm. But sometimes they do because he went to base one, base two. But sometimes you have to go to the third layer or the fourth layer. You feel like you've done a holistic job, but there still it comes back, and they need to look at lifestyle, let's say. Mm-hmm. But, yeah. But that you kind of get a step further in your journey every single time. Hopefully that you get it right the first time. Yeah, right? I think because uh, we we see we, I train a lot of the guys who go to see you every now and again, and I I know that from their lifestyle, from their stress, from their jobs, the stuff that we can't control, we can't prevent. So um, a lot of the times they they come back from you feeling completely rejuvenated and you know completely ready to go again. Um, I wanted to ask you. You talked to me about uh, some of the work you're trying to. You, you want people to begin to kind of understand their own pain first, understand their own education first. Yes. Sir. Yeah, so just explain that. You want your, because I know we kind of touched on this over the phone. You're creating, like, your, your plan is to build a social media videos to then be able to send to your patients and say, perhaps this is helpful or perhaps that's helpful. Yeah, again, I mean, treat for me, getting people better is, 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 is one part of my job, but keeping them better is the, is the real passion. Um, and social media, I mean, I'm I'm a bit uh, 
to the taste down a bit old fashioned when it comes to it. I had to learn. I'm still learning this whole social <laughs> oh, media we're, game. We're all still honestly, learning. <laughs> it keeps honestly, changing. I don't particularly yeah. like it. Yeah, it's, it's, I mean, not dislike it. It's just the problem is it's a bit of a bragging platform, right? And I don't want to do this. I want to really have a value. So a lot of people always ask me, why didn't you develop this? I said, because I need a plan. I want to know. What the, there has to be a goal, right? Not just like, look at me, how good I am. This is because there's plenty of good people out there, but it has to be a value for the consumer. And so I think it's important, like in a choice of profession, you know where you want to go with this. And so I'm in the process of doing this. Mm-hmm. But to give you a snippet, and one of the ideas is to, you know, make people less lost with injuries. And we talked about extreme cases of mm-hmm. chronic pain or severest pain, but let's, let's talk about this in athletic setup. For instance, in your gym, right? A guy does a whatever shoulder press and says every time off my shoulder press I get this pain or sometimes I get a shooting pain and then for three days I can't train can't lift my arm and uh, and then what I do same thing again go to a doctor have an MRI scan they say oh you have got a rotator cuff this and impingement this you know impingement for instance is not a which is you know, for people who don't know that is is when you know a tendon gets impinged under between the shoulder and the, and and the scapula and it can inflame so it can be painful to lift the arm. Impingement is not a diagnosis, for instance, right? Impingement is a, it's a symptom complex, but there's about 10 or more reasons why you can have an impingement. Again, people always focus us. A radiologist says there's an impingement of the shoulder. You can't tell that from an MRI. I'm sorry. You could, this is a clinical diagnosis, mm-hmm. but what's causing it? That's what we treat. We don't treat impingement. We treat the dyskinesis, the wrong positioning of the shoulder blade. We treat the the, the thoracic carposis, etc. That's what you treat, and that's the real finding. Yeah. And um, going off topic again, the thing is, it's just the patient or the client or your clients that just to say, my shoulder hurts every time I do that dip, right? Yeah. And uh, so then they said, shall I do it or not? Is it what my scan shows, my label tear, or all these, again, all these expressions the client shouldn't even know. Um, Sometimes there's, there's, there's very simple things you can do. So what I would try and educate clients on is, okay, you have that pain. How do you respond to this? You're in the gym, fully motivated, 10 minutes into it, and bam, there you go, my shoulder goes again, right? Then what do I do? Do I go home crying? Do I run to a doctor? Do I eat ibuprofen or whatnot? It's like, how can I assess, A, how dangerous is this, what I have right now? Do I have to stop or not, right? Is there damage or is it just a dysfunction? So... For instance, hey, can I fix that somehow? Can I release a trigger point at the back of my shoulder? So you do that. I tell them, okay, take out a lacrosse ball or a trigger point ball, release that point, try again. It's like, oh, that feels much better now. That means you can continue. Right? Patients need to know, do I need to stop or can I push sure. through? Right? So first is always so educating them, right, I got this pain again, what can I do about it? I want them to remember what helped last time. So try, I call that troubleshooting. So yeah. that could be with a foam roll or a stretch, a, a traction stretch, a trigger point. So you do this, right? And then when that gets better, you have the reassurance that cannot be damaged, right? I mean, it might be somewhere <coughs> asymptomatic, but that's not relevant for my problem. So already red flags come down, patients is happy, mm-hmm. I can continue. I don't have to go home after 10 minutes, great. Yeah. Right? If you realize... And that's, that's what I tell. I'm not just treating. I tell them, okay, these are the stages how you assess an injury. Okay, you fix that. Let's say you do this, troubleshooting doesn't feel better. What do you do? So you're going to try to check, okay, how's my, is my form wrong? Corrective form, still hurts. All right. The form is wrong. 
scale the exercise, you know, make it easier, change position slightly, and if you feel like that feels much better, then you do this, and then you bring the, uh, the back. So basically analyze what is the problem. Is it something because I slept funny, I was stressed today, and that's why my shoulder stands in a funny way, or is it really, again, these red flags from before in my, in my brain, is it really my tear? And again, this education is important for the yeah. patient to know basically, I have a pain, an 8 out of 10, and how much danger am I under? Can I harm myself or not? That's what the patients want to know. Mm-hmm. And so my assessment is usually very simple. I mean, when somebody comes in to me, and I check, is there something, is there damage? Is it a hardware problem or a software problem, I should yeah. say? Is mm-hmm. there damage, a tear, a fracture? No, move it, right? If there is there's something on like this, go and do diagnostics, do due diligence, mm-hmm. and do what you have to do. But if it's not, if I can clearly say, no, it's not broken, then movement is the key. Right? Mm-hmm. Go back to the back. Moving a painful back, if there's no structural problem, which most of the times isn't, will actually help. Yeah. Not mm-hmm. moving will make it worse. Yeah, of course. But there's a right timing. There's the other p- part is then, is it inflammatory or is it mechanical, right? Yeah. If there's a huge cloud of inflammation over the whole thing, well, good luck moving it. It won't work. So you might have to do this. Again, you go back to biology. Two, three days of inflammation period, three to five days mm-hmm. maybe. So it's whatever you do, you ice it, rest it, arnica, medication, whatever mm-hmm. rocks you want, you do that to get this down and then move mm-hmm. it. Yeah. Right? And so in the process, you might realize, okay, there was a bit of an issue, so we still do diagnosis or not, but as long as you get better and you just need to listen to your body, what, you, what signals your body gives you, I just help mm-hmm. to interpret them. Yeah. I was going to ask you something you said earlier really um, caught my attention. You mentioned that your real passion is helping people stay healthy. So tell me, how do you do that? And then what advice do you have for your patients as to what they can do to stay healthy? What would your recommendations be? That's a good question. I mean, essentially, Emma, I, I cover one aspect of their problems or their, their you know, their whatever they're suffering from. And I think to stay healthy, it's you, need to, you need to grasp the whole situation of the patient. There's a big thing, that social cycle. Um, oh, yes, uh, I know. Yeah, I, psychosocial yeah, model yeah. and all this. As, I mean, you need to grasp the patient as a whole. I mean, we, in physiotherapy or in medicine, generally there is, there's this thing called clinical reasoning. You know, that means you reason what's the problem, why did it happen? What's uh, what's the reason for it? But also, a very important thing is this. So, this is, is, a, is a, a part which is called maintaining factors. What maintains the problem? That could be a you know. Let's talk about the shoulder again. Um, kyphosis in your thoracics, a mechanical maintaining factor. But it can also be because your computer mouse is too far forward, you're overreaching, or because your car seat is wrong. Or yeah. you know, if you if you spend like this five minutes, it's not a problem. If you do that eight to ten hours a day, it can become a problem. Mm-hmm. That means I can treat, I can strengthen, and all this. But then if you go and spend ten hours there. I mean, how do you feed that, right? Mm. Or if somebody says, oh, I can straighten up nicely, but then they spend 10 hours in that position, it's, 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 it's a problem. So you need to, first of all, analyze this. Second thing is, um, again, I talked about passive modalities, and that's a big problem in our job. Is I'm a manual therapist. I, I apply passive methods. But I know today that this doesn't fix people. It makes them feel better. It gives them a boost. But... To maintain that is like learning a language. You can go to a language teacher or a piano lesson. If you don't practice, you won't get better. Mm. Simple as that. There's a few things which are very acute. Somebody locks the neck. You can manipulate that neck. They feel better. You will never see them again. Happens. But most of the patients, that's not the case. So you need to give them tools how they can, uh, they can maintain this. In my case, uh, I try to see 
what muscles don't work well. So, for instance, I don't just focus on where the pain is. I focus on what's maintaining it mechanically and to give them exercise tools to do. But the problem is everybody who has been in a, in a treatment with, with a therapist will know that these exercises are terribly boring, right? Yeah. I mean, I say it a bit sarcastically. I've been there, and I've, I've not been the best patient, honestly speaking. But I try to, A, keep it low. That means keep the amount low. If you give somebody a sheet of five, exercise, uh, five sheets of exercise, 20 exercises, nobody does that. Yeah. Very, very few. I mean, we love these patients to do it, but they don't. Mm-hmm. And I don't want patients to do this. It has to be transferable into your daily life. So if it's one of your clients, Keith, then that's how we work together. That's what we love, working together, is to say, I don't tell Keith what to do. He knows that 10 times better than me. But I say, I think this is the problem. And I think that's what's creating it. So if you can just keep an eye on that, his retraction is good or that uh, this part just... But how he achieves that with what exercise, that's his expertise, right? It's not mine. I do basically, I give them the tools, but ideally linked to their daily activities. So somebody is a, is a CrossFitter, right? Then you say, okay, if you're up in that pull-up, like how do you properly engage? I give them the basic tools. I, I always teach them the patterns, kind of... You know, what's what important patterns when you push, what when you pull. And they're always more or less the same. Once you, if you understand these patterns, bringing back to the beginning of our conversation, if you understand the, the basic principles, you can apply that to anything. And I think to make something overwhelming easy, seem easy is important, right? Meaning, if you know this pattern, if I apply it to any pulling action or this one to any pushing action, you basically just have to learn two things and apply it to different things. And that's what I try to do in my, in my part of it. Of course, there's nutrition comes in, there's sleep management comes in, etc. And, and, you know, I know a little bit about it, but I'm not a nutritionist and I will never claim that I am one. I do mm-hmm. think we need to all learn more about these things because I mm-hmm. think these professions are, well, what you guys doing is testament on that. They're merging mm-hmm. more and more and I think it has to. Yeah, you need to know about nutrition. Mm-hmm. You're as much a therapist as you as you're uh, as you're a rehab trainer or a personal trainer. Yeah, I'm becoming more and more a little bit of a trainer. Doesn't mean make me a trainer, and I'm, I'll never claim to be one. But you need to know about each other's fields and kind of these gray zones to cover those. Um, yeah, but it can go further as well. I mean, how to change change lifestyle? Give them advice about how, how how do I relax, you know, when I get nervous or I can't sleep at 4 a.m. and Yeah, yeah. even things like breathing. Like Not even. Breathing. Very important, it's right? the most important. Yeah. Meditation. <laughs> I discovered meditation recently for myself and it's amazing. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Before I thought like, ooh, medication, I'd like to learn, but I can't do it. Well, I wasn't born being able to ride a bike either. Mm-hmm. You can learn it's a skill, right? Mm-hmm. Like everything else. So, yeah, I mean, I think, as I said, it's, it's, you need to look at it broad. You can't just focus on, oh, here it hurts. And so let's rub there and hope it gets better. That's, that's too simple. I'm not sure if that answers mm. the question. Yeah, it does. <laughs> it does. So just uh, out of curiosity, uh, I think I asked you this before. What did you do personally? Like, what are your lifestyle things that you do to stay healthy? Because obviously you've had lots of injuries. You're also a physiotherapist, so you can meet both in the middle. Tell us your secrets. <laughs> secrets. Um, well, it's not a secret, really. I mean, first of all, I'm not a saint. You know, I mean, I'm, we're no always better. All no of us, is. we're always better to give other people advice yeah. Than, yeah. than to do it ourselves. But people often ask me that. What do you think is, is, is important for a healthy life? I think, I mean, food choices are important. I'm not talking about having a slim waistline. I'm just talking about produce quality. Because I believe a lot of the industry produced food and these E-factors and whatnot, I, I don't think they're good for us. And mm. I think it's by now, well, I don't want to 
put any statements out there. But I look, I make sure that I, I don't, I, I try to control what I can control with my nutrition. doesn't mean I won't have a pizza, I will have it, but I won't have it five days a week. Yeah, right? of course. So nutrition is important. Sleep is important. So enough sleep, quality sleep, um, uh, activity. I'd, be, I'd liberally say activity and not training because, uh, you know, some people train, some people walk, some people swim, some people just, you know, try to take the stairs. But try to, especially in a town like this, make sure you get active wherever you can mm-hmm. regularly. Mm. That's important. And there's a little bit of luck involved as well, I mm. think. But over the years, I added another component, which I think is super important, and is it, which is happiness. And, uh, I mean, that's something you can't just create like that. But I believe if you sleep well, eat well, you have uh, you know, healthy relationships, friendships, make good choices, happiness often, hopefully, comes as part of it. And if you're not, then you need to figure out why you're not happy. And yeah. I think that's one of the most overlooked. In my, to be a bit more uh, specific, I mean, I try to train whenever I can. I have family. It's, uh, for many people, they say, oh, you know, I have a job. I mean, I work from 7.30 till 5, 6 o'clock sometimes. And then... Because already get up at six, I just say, yeah, I'll go training after work. And often I go out of the, off, out of the <coughs> clinic and I feel, I can't shout that I should rather go home. But if I actually go and force myself, most of the times I look forward to it, but there are these moments where like, oh, shall I make a U-turn mm-hmm. or shall I go? And when you go, you come home energized. Yeah, if you I feel don't better. Go, yeah, yeah, I fall asleep on the sofa and I'm mm-hmm. useless at home. <laughs> but I'm a better... I'm a better father and better husband, better everything for myself. I sleep better if I actually do it. Mm-hmm. Then. So I'm trying to make that regular. My wife will tell you that I'm actually quite grumpy if I don't exercise. <laughs> Sometimes she sends me, she forces me. Uh, but I, tr- I mean, I used to train like five, six times a week. Uh, these days, as I, you get a bit older, uh, you realize your body needs different things. So right now I get away with three times, four times a week. Mm-hmm. Relaxation, rest. I like active relaxation. I go out for a stand-up paddle. I go for a run on the beach or a swim. Simple like that, or just to walk with a dog, or play with yeah. my daughter. Yeah, this uh, that fulfills me. That makes me happy. That's my happy place. Family, yeah. um, foods, we eat very healthy. Yeah, I don't uh, cut anything particular out, except if it's not good for me. But again, that doesn't mean I don't you know commit some sins here and there. It's not a, yeah. So that's that's personally what I try to do, and I try to live by example. Right? Do you practice what you preach? Yeah, that's important. Very important. So Nick, where can people get in touch with your social media if they want to follow you and keep up to date? On social media, it's uh, yeah. Again, I started my Instagram recently. It's a little bit basic for the time being, but uh, watch this space. Yeah. Um, <laughs> it's probably the best thing uh, is uh, Nick Jordan dot physio. That's uh, that's my uh, name on Instagram. I know it's very original, um, but. Uh, so that's where they can find me. Um, I have a Facebook page, but that's a little bit uh, that's a little bit deserted at the moment. <laughs> yes. But I think Instagram is the best place. Or uh, yeah, that's cool. uh, perfect. And Nick, thank you so yeah, much. Um, right. We really appreciate it for imparting all your knowledge. Um, bye, guys. Bye, bye. Bye. Thanks for having me. Yeah.